You are now listening to the Soccer Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to week six of the Soccer Football Podcast. Another crazy week in the Premier League. We cannot wait to bring some action and uh, some pretty interesting new news stories that broke. Some very interesting developments have happened around the league, not just on the pitch itself. So a lot for us to cover in this podcast. We're going to bring you all, all the news, all the comings, all the happenings. And Sev, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Very excited to talk to everybody about what happened in the Premier League this week on the field and off the field. Off the field, potentially more interesting than on the field for once. But as always, it is Sneak. It is Sev. We can't wait to get started this week. And Sev, I do believe you have something to tell us regarding a pretty young fullback for Manchester United. Yeah, so Aaron Juan Basaka, or AWB as I'm going to call him because that's a pretty long name, uh, is the subject of this hilarious discussion at the moment. And it's been covered by a bunch of media outlets and kind of memed into oblivion. But per the request of one of our followers, we're going to give our takes on what happened with AWB. Now, a little bit of background. AWB, who's the 22-year-old right back for Manchester United, was exposed by a mistress named Marlisha Ortiz online. She kind of bad. She is. And it wasn't for their relationship exclusively, though she's a mistress, so they did have a relationship. It was a relationship he had with another woman. So not only is Aaron Wambasaka cheating on his current girlfriend with this Ortiz girl, but she also brought up that he was cheating on his girlfriend with another woman. And the real kicker here is the other woman is pregnant and is going to have a child and Marlisha Ortiz told us that Aaron Wambasaka does not plan on acknowledging the child basically at all. Uh, so it's a nice little love triangle that they have going on. Um, Marlisha Ortiz also accused Aaron Wambasaka of doing some pretty kinky stuff in the bedroom, which uh, we're a family podcast, so I'm not really going to get too deep into it. And maybe the final and funniest piece of information in this whole story is uh, when Aaron Wan-Bissaka and his current ex-girlfriend, Rihanna Bentley, had this chat online where Rihanna Bentley confronted Aaron about this new, uh, newfound um, news about him being a little bit scandalous. He said to her, I don't owe you nothing except fare back to London. My take on this is this sounds like a famous person situation. Like, I don't know how many actual people who you see walking down the street get into shenanigans like this. I don't think your average... 22 year old has a love triangle on that level um i know i didn't i do remember when i was 22 and i mean you're young you're reckless you want to go out and have fun but when you're making millions and millions of dollars a year i feel like you you might have to be a little bit more careful with who you're delving into in terms of relationships because one party in the love triangle not only dated sway lee but also his current teammate jesse lingard yeah and it has me thinking now I fo- I mean I follow a lot of players on Arsenal on Instagram and just a lot of players around the league, but specifically with Arsenal since I am a fan, you know I'm checking their Instagram, I'm checking Instagram, I'm seeing them post pictures. Now I know that when we sign a new player, I want to be 
going on his Instagram or following him and him just posting exclusively pictures of him and his current girlfriend. Like I want him to be just simping for her locked up <laughs> because then I know he's not going to get into any of this shit. Like Gabby Martinelli and, and Gabrielle, like they always post with their girlfriends character. They're never going to be in this pathetic situation. That's well, the person I, I want on my team. Well, his not only was one of the, the girls, uh, an ex of Jesse Lingard's, but Martial a year or two ago also had a pretty sketchy situation in terms of him cheating on his fiance and he took to Instagram and apologized in a pretty pretty funny way publicly posted a picture with her and said like sorry she never left him um I I don't know what that says about him or her but I it may be a uh, Manchester United character problem oh it definitely is especially because in in the UK they get more media attention than any other club so maybe that stuff's even happening at other clubs and it's just never going to get picked up the way that this stuff is because it's not united. Potentially, but I mean, you look at the the players in the squad like Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba, Martial. I didn't think Aaron Wambasaka was on that that level in terms of kind of like outspoken, extravagant players who, you know, definitely have fun off the field and on. But I don't know, maybe a little bit of Paul Pogba's m- magic on the field and off is also brushing off on uh, Wambasaka. The other hilarious part of this story is that Juan Basaka, after all of this was made public on Instagram, goes out in the Champions League on Tuesday and locks down one of like the most fearsome attacks in, in, in yeah. Europe uh, when they beat PSG in their group stage game. And he had a really solid game against Neymar and Mbappe. Some pretty funny tweets I did see. Uh, a United fan was like, this is just so classic of us that Juan Basaka is going to have be on two hours of sleep after FaceTiming his girlfriend all night and then go up against Neymar. <laughs> yeah, well, but that he shot guy him down. was in for a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, no, he played incredible. Uh, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, as far as I know, the UK has the same laws as America. Well, I mean, he has to pay like alimony, child support, whatever you want to call it. But he's on some yeah. pretty nice wages. He'll, he'll be fine. As long as he doesn't get absolutely taken to the cleaners in court he should be fine but yeah yeah, that that line on snapchat i don't know owe you anything besides a fare back to london that's that's future-esque absolutely so funny yeah he killed it in that i on my respect has gone up for aaron wambasaka just based off that snapchat and i didn't know he had it in the bag i didn't know he had it in the bag either but because she's a piece yeah well hey when you're a footballer and you're on those types of wages I think it's proving to not be particularly hard to attract Instagram models, considering there's three of them in question here. Sure. And I'm sure he's pretty funny. You know, he brings other things to the table. Yeah. He's 22. No, definitely I not mean, just money at all. Just not like money at all. Yeah. Plays a very small role in things. <laughs> all right. So some other news. And, and this is something that I kind of thought to bring up because of what happened midweek it's it's been a season long and eight eight to ten month long saga, I would say. But Mesut Ozil, the thirty two year old German national and longtime number ten for Arsenal, was not included in either of their Premier League or Europa League squads. And on Thursday during the Europa League group stage game against Rapid Vienna from Austria, Ozil took to Twitter and effectively live tweeted the whole game. And he went as far as to poll his followers on their man of the match selection. 
Mikel Arteta actually included Ozil in 11 of the team's first 15 games back when he took over in December and through January before the COVID break. But after the COVID break, Ozil hasn't made the squad uh, other than being on the bench twice. He maintains that Ozil's disinclusion is the result of tactical and sporting decisions. But David Ornstein of The Athletic reported that Arsenal saved close to £8 million in incentives by keeping him off the squad. What are your thoughts on this, Luke? That's nuts. Yeah, he's the, he's the most well-paid admin, Twitter admin for a team I've I've ever seen in my entire life. I was I follow him on Twitter. Um, I've always been a big Ozil fan, but his tweets before the game, even before the Leicester game this weekend, he was gave his uh his prediction. He's a, a close battle, two one Arsenal victory. Aubameyang, Lacazette's gonna score. Let me hear your thoughts. Insane. <laughs> I love the journalists. The Arsenal journalists are tweeting at him, and they're like, "Mate, if you do player ratings after the game, like we're coming for you. That's our job." <laughs> yeah, it's literally like the Arsenal page is now you might as well just follow Uzzle instead of Arsenal's page. Just live tweets the game, every goal, predictions, man of the match rankings after the game. It's a, it's a horrible... <laughs> He's going to start writing blogs. It's a horrible thing to see as an Arsenal fan, but, I mean, you can just do so much with this new development. You And he's going to be doing it for... It, it's all in spite of Arsenal, too. Like, he's not doing it to be... He's doing it to fake being the supportive good guy of the team he doesn't actually really 100 percent. i mean you're you're the fan by i mean i see it as him being just basically distraught that he can't play and he's just trying to find any way to st- like still be involved ah uh, yeah i think it's to get because there's there's arsenal fans and then there's ozil fans it's like the lebron thing or whenever there's a big time player on a team right there's the people who follow him around he has like a big muslim following because he's obviously you know, like a very popular Muslim player. So there's Ozil fans who he knows he can basically turn on the squad. Uh, right. And that's what he's doing. He's not doing this out of the kindness of his heart. He's doing it to spite the club. It's the same thing he did with Gunnosaurus. <laughs> Gunnosaurus? You didn't hear about that? <laughs> well, no, I heard about the Gunnosaurus, but... Ozil's paying his wages now. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump from from him paying Gunnosaurus' wages to them, him trying to spite. If it's all just a spite against Arsenal, there's deeper, deeper problems there than just him trying to be an, an admin. There's massive I didn't see problems. the journalists. I didn't see the journalists tweet him saying, if you do player ratings, we're coming for you though. That's pretty funny. Yeah, no, they were even like, uh, if you do post-match reaction, like in a way <laughs> where you rate players one through 10, we're screwed. Like they, they're just hinting at it. It's so funny. <laughs> That is so funny. I was expecting him to release like a YouTube from his house of him just talking with like his his wife or uh, like some of his friends just going over the game, like instant match reaction from Uzzle. Arsenal fan TV <laughs> should recruit him. Yeah, no, he'd kill it. I don't think he'd be able to keep up with their energy. I don't, I'm not really too sure how I, how I, how he is off the pitch. He's just way too cool to be in the same room as some of those. Yeah, those guys are goons. Blokes. <laughs> for lack of a better word yeah no he that is a a pretty hysterical development definitely get on twitter definitely get follow meza ozzle it's honestly constant entertainment yeah and it's going to be like that throughout the rest of the season because obviously he wasn't included in the squad so now this is what he's resigned to last point before we move on luke lack of goals this week for once yeah i mean we did have our first nil nil draw last weekend Looks like uh, that may have rubbed off on the league and things, unfortunately, may be getting back to normal. 
the defenses after the lack of preseason may have started to figure things out uh, to the detriment of our viewing. But I mean, still pretty entertaining games all around this week, I thought. Yeah, maybe maybe people tiring down from playing midweek stuff, but surprised to see how few goals there were this week. And our informed list is going to be hard to talk about because of the lack of goals, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's one man that still keeps providing, keeps playing well. My boy Danny Ings. Gotta love oh, I thought you were going to say Hattrick Bamford. Nah, that is actually my in-his-bag player of the week, though. He is. He was in his bag. Patrick Bamford. Week. So far in his bag, he may be coming for Harry Kane's England spot. Bleacher Report has a picture of him and Donovan Mitchell, and they're like, who's more in their bag right now? <laughs> and then Tyler Hero just lurking in the background. Exactly. All right. What do you say, Luke? Are we kicking off the game reviews? Yeah, I think that that is all of the news that we have for you guys this week. And we'll be right back with Game Week Reviews. All right, guys, we are back with our Game Reviews. We kicked off on Friday afternoon, and it was undefeated Aston Villa taking on the newcomers' Leeds. Leeds, once again, playing so well this year. But, I mean, I really thought Aston Villa were going to just rise to the top. Grealish has been in incredible form. Watkins has been outstanding, as has Ross Barkley. But this did not go the way that we were expecting. The first half was pretty scrappy, pretty pretty cagey, I thought. Um, and as after seeing Leeds' lineup, where Luke Ayling was playing center, mid, center defensive mid, Alioski was left back, and Rodrigo looked to be in center midfield, I thought they were going to be in trouble absolutely going for it yeah i mean i i mean you're playing an undefeated aston villa who are so quick so dangerous on the counter attack and just kind of plugging in players randomly uh pascal streak playing that center defensive mid role because calvin phillips was out um but i mean ailing proved me wrong early on in the match with an absolutely insane goal line clearance of a Grealish shot and yeah as i said the first half was was pretty cagey Rodrigo ended up not really playing center mid. He was more of a center forward and behind Bamford. And Villa did, I think, edge it in the first half. They looked the more dangerous at the sides. Grealish also almost had an absolute wonder goal after halftime. Ran past four or five Leeds players, got into the box, and then somehow couldn't finish from five yards out. I mean, that would have been one of the goals of the season. Yeah, I didn't. I don't. I don't know if I can remember exactly the goal that you were talking about. I remember the goal line clearance for certain, but I, you know, after that, I didn't think Villa had all too many chances in the game. Maybe Watkins had one more decent opportunity. Watkins had one very late, but yeah, I mean, first half very cagey. Grealish nearly opened up the second half with a pretty insane wonder goal, but then the in his bag player of the week, Patrick Bamford, just rose to the moment. How many little puns can we do with his name? Patrick Bamford, Patrick Bam third, Patrick. Uh, I, I I guess I'm not. There's got to be some. I guess I'm not too quick with there. it on a Monday. Yeah, there's got to be some more in there. Somebody tweet us some good ones. Yeah, I mean he hasn't scored a hat trick, and basically I don't think he actually the last hat trick he scored was against Leeds. That's how long it's been since he scored a hat trick. That's crazy. That's insane. That's over two seasons. Yeah. So I mean Hattrick Bam third. Maybe Ooh, maybe quite not Hattrick Bam third <laughs> on the regular, but he was today. 
first goal was pretty scrappy. Um, just kind of tucked one in at the far post, but I mean, held Acosta and the other head, Jack Harrison on the left wing are Jack Harrison was crazy good. Bro, this, this game, they in are my opinion. so good. I held Acosta, I think used to be on Wolves and Leeds bought him from, from a team over the summer. I don't know why they let him go. Cause he's incredible. Rodrigo, yeah. I thought actually played very well once again i'm so impressed with the way that rodrigo rodrigo is being is has brought himself up to speed with this uh bielsa style of play and bielsa clearly likes him i feel like bielsa is probably he knows he needs to rotate his players because he wears them down but it seems like he entrusted rodrigo pretty early on he was putting him in from the first game as kind of a last minute sub or you know to run at the defense late, but it seems like he's really brought himself up to speed in this Leeds team. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really getting in the team all that much at the very start of the season, but obviously, like you said, brought himself up to speed, and now, basically, I think Bielsa fits him in wherever possible just because he knows how good he is. But yeah, Bamford's second goal, I mean, basically a Cristiano Ronaldo strike with if Cristiano Ronaldo was left-footed and English and a little bit less (laughs) handsome, but he just cannoned it, kind of knuckled, bar down. And then once again, he gets in the box. A little bit of trickery, dummy here and there. Tyra Mings, none of the Villa players want to touch him. He's inside the box. He's been dangerous all day. And then just a sweet left-footed strike into the far corner. I don't know if I'll be more impressed by a goal all season than that one. And yes, that's an extremely lofty thing to say. But the balance, the delicacy... The full, like the way he didn't have to draw back his left foot at all to just flick it past nearly no backlift yeah yeah it the whole thing the, the balance especially to keep himself upright as he's turning and not really even needing to manipulate the ball to get to his shooting motion like that's about as impressive of a goal as you're gonna see in my opinion yeah and from a player who we know can score goals and we know is is a decent player but did not know he had those types of finishes and just that amount of quality in the locker. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, he almost got a fourth too. And I just wanted to also touch on that Leeds' fitness is just ridiculous. You, ju- you just did say that Bielsa wears down his players, but I don't know how- what he installs in them in terms of mentality. But the last minute of the game, Villa were attacking. Leeds grabbed the ball. It's the 94th minute in like 30 seconds. The game's 3-0. And there are seven Leeds players sprinting down the field in the very last minute. It was a sight to see, really. Yeah, quick note on that. I started watching that second season of Take Us Home Leeds United. In the first episode, they're coming back from summer break and testing their fitness, and all of them are panicking that they put on too much weight or (laughs) aren't meeting the benchmarks that Bielsa sets for them. Like I remember Luke Ayling in particular was panicking that he's not going to get by and Beals is gonna be pissed at him so it's it's definitely something they emphasize yeah I mean let's see if they can last the whole season I really hope they do because they're so fun to watch but yeah I mean just uh even the mentality not even the fitness to do that in the 95th minute I mean I don't see many other teams when they're up a few goals just piling forward I mean your goal getters will like Harry Kane, Son, Salah, Rashford those types of players will always try and want to go and score another goal but when you're left back and right back and center mid are just piling forward and there's seven players on the break 95th minute three and all up is yeah insane so yeah it's something especially up three nothing too yeah it's like so yeah. villa fall to leeds their first loss of the season 
Leeds definitely outplayed him in the second half. I thought fully deserved, even though Villa did look dangerous at parts. But yeah, I mean, great game plan. Some insane goals from Bamford. That's, I think, a result Leeds have deserved now for, for a few weeks. Yeah, great job, Leeds. All right. The next game that took place on Saturday morning, the early morning game, was the West Ham versus Manchester City game. So Manchester City came out and they wanted to press and make the field shorter like they typically do, especially against smaller sides, suffocate the game a little bit. Early on, they were doing that effectively to the point where their fullbacks were pushed up so high on the field that they were only playing with like two central defenders dropped back and everybody else up the field. West Ham actually was able to nick one against the run of play, though. Mikel Antonio, big boy, you signing Ruben Diaz with a well-taken overhead kick for one nothing. Welcome to the Premier League. Welcome to the Premier League. Welcome to Mikel Antonio. I think in Guardiola's ideal world, the only player that would ever defend Mikel Antonio is Kyle Walker because he's probably the only dude who's going to match him for like pace and, and, and strength. strength. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple times where they clashed and it was like... I- I mean, we, we have talked about Kyle Walk, Walker before uh, on the show, I believe. But I, Steph said, and we said we had a discussion on this off air, but Kyle Walker could rush for 2,000 yards in the NFL. Oh, 100%. He's just got like the right the right running style, speed, balance, strength. So to be an fucking NFL fast. Back. Just so yeah. powerful. Has everything. I mean, he's not great football-wise, I don't think technically at all. But I mean, he just makes up for any mistake because he's absolutely rapid. Yeah, and and big too, has the speed and the size. Yeah, he's a big boy. So after that, City had a few chances. Most of their good moments came on the back of Jao Cancelo, who I thought think is finally coming into his own after a disappointing first season with City. I thought he played well against Arsenal too. I think we did mention that last week. Yeah, I thought he played really well. With that being said, West Ham, as the half wore on, started pressing a little bit more and even gained a little bit more possession However, in the second half, City looked like they were going to start cityying the game. They really started to dominate the ball, put pressure on West Ham. Foden came on for Aguero at the half, and his creativity in midfield was a huge asset for them. And that's capped off when he scored in the 51st minute. And Luke, I need to ask, after two goals in 180 minutes this year, so a goal a game essentially, how close is he to being the David Silva replacement that City and Pep want him to be? I honestly think he's he's there already. He's been groomed now for a few seasons, and we've been hearing about the talent that Phil Foden has. He got into the England squad. Obviously, that ended in some, you know, less than ideal uh, circumstances. But I mean, he's obviously so good. You saw we were texting about this also, but he came on at halftime, and they scored five minutes after. And I was like, oh my god, City are just gonna end up. It's gonna be five one City. This is one of one of those games where. They just come back and, I mean, Phil Foden would have been at the forefront of that. Especially with De Bruyne out. I mean, he did sub in for the last 15 minutes, but he picked up a knock two weeks ago and yeah. isn't 100%. Yeah, he obviously wasn't at full speed, I didn't think. You, you need that creativity in midfield. And as soon as Foden came on, not only did they start creating more, but they just generally controlled the game. They were able to go through him a lot. And he looks to be taking another step in his in his young career. Uh, While City really dominated that second half, they obviously never pushed ahead seeing as the game did end in a 1-1 draw. Their best opportunity to go ahead came when Raheem Sterling was sent through 
one-on-one versus Fabianski, who had come down to cut out the angle. He fluffed that opportunity. He basically just kicked it right into Fabianski's outstretched arm. Razine. Uh, West, yeah, it was, I mean. That was very poor finish. Incredibly poor finish. That was the Good Sterling of about space, but. four seasons ago. Yeah, you'd expect him with his goal-scoring record to date to maybe put that away, but he didn't, and uh, Manchester City dropped points to West Ham, who do deserve credit because of the form that they're in, respectively. David Moyes has them playing extremely hard. They're noticeably triggered by every 50-50 ball in the midfield, and they don't lose many. They defend well in a low block, and they press when they can and counter extremely effectively. Declan Rice continues to impress me. Jared Bowen continues to impress me. Mikel Antonio continues to impress me. They remind me of what Sheffield was able to do last year. And I think that they're kind of finding that play style and that form now, you know, six games into the year. Yeah, I mean, they have some really talented players on that roster. Like, really talented. Benarama did not even make the bench for this one, but we'll see what happens when he's included in the squad, what wing he takes. Mm -hmm. They don't really play with a 10, so... Um, see how they integrate him into the squad. Play but anyways, ten, and 10 men and behind the ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not really much of a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that was West Ham 1, Man City 1. And moving on to the next game, that was Fulham versus Crystal Palace at the beautiful Craven Cottage. I, the grass was looking impeccable on the Thames. It's cl- the, clearly a, uh, a kind summer to the grass. And Scott Parker, once again, yes, looking sir. incredible on the touchline. Oh, he was looking great. I saw him with that suit on, little jacket on to keep off the rain, but he was looking chiseled. But his team, once again, uh, I mean, chiseled is literally the the opposite to what they looked. Um, Palace, I thought, basically were very confident, very controlled throughout the whole game. Didn't really give up much whatsoever. And also shout out my boy Nathaniel Klein after an ACL for Liverpool, and then just many seasons of getting one game a season. He's back in the starting lineup in the Premier League. Great to see him back out there. Uh, a great servant and just a great Premier League player at this point. Back where he belongs in Crystal Palace, where it all Real started. Quick, my roommate, junior year, was also a Liverpool supporter. And he always used to be like, and Klein's out, but when Klein comes back, we're really going to take that next step. Like, he was a big Nathaniel Klein guy. Klein? And I mean, obviously... Trent emerged and right. made him obsolete, but he was. Oh, I mean, once once Klein comes back, you know, during we're in. during the dark days, Nathaniel Klein was I our most consistent performer. Con- consistent seven out of tens was so good. I mean, he he's always been good defensively, but he I, he can never really cross the ball. So Trent came in and we started playing well, and you can't put Klein back in. But yeah, I mean, no. great to see him back there. Zaha was on one this game also. Wilfred, that ball that he played yeah. for their first goal was unbelievable. It was so good. Yeah, I just when that happened, I was like, ooh, you know, little mm. little sounds I didn't know I could do were were coming out of me. But just a <laughs> phenomenal slipped ball into the path of uh, one of the center midfielders whose name is escaping me, but it was his first goal. Riedewald, Riedewald. There you mm. go. Yeah, uh, and I think he's came back from injury recently too. Yeah, been at, been at Palace now for two years. Uh, he got his first goal in the Premier League for them. Pretty good finish, left-footed around the side of the goalkeeper. And then Zaha made it 2-0 when he came in at the back post off a Mishi Batshuayi cross. 
kind of clattered into the post with his shin, but he was able to continue, which was great to see. I mean, one of the only bright sparks for bright sparks for Fulham this game was uh, Adamola Luckman, who I thought actually was very lively. De- so lively, yeah. Had, I mean, a couple of shots from outside the box, pop shots, but was making good runs. Was had some great interplay with with some of the Fulham attackers. He definitely looks like he could be a bright spark for Fulham, and I really do think that some players in that attacking third for Fulham are of good enough quality to help them maybe kind of get back into it in the second half of the season because right now they're 0-1-5. and they, they have one point from six games. It's not going well, but they have some players in the attacking third at least that could help. Save the they season. they did a good job at the transfer deadline and even the I think they picked up a uh, yeah they picked up Ruben Loftus Cheek in the domestic transfer before the domestic transfer window was over but that was I don't know if you remember that's the thing I said first game I was like they look well organized but once you get to the edge of the box there's nothing and then Lookman came in and then Loftus Cheek came in and I'm like there might be something there where they can stay up right. But you're right, they have to start putting results together. And Mitrovic needs to pull his finger out because he hasn't been impressing me in recent weeks. The championship's top score from last season. Uh, and then the game ended. But before that, Kamara had a pretty heavy tackle that was, I mean, he definitely deserved that red card. It was it was way too rash, way too reckless. And we saw it happen last week with the injuries. That needs to be put, a, that needs to have its cap put on it. We don't want to see any tackles like that anymore. And then Tom Kearney, I mean, I don't know why he wasn't shooting the rest of the game when Fulham had these these chances or just the ball on the edge of the box when he has that in a locker, but Tom Kearney hit an absolute thunderbolt into the top left corner. But yeah, it was not enough to save the day for Fulham. They lost at home 2-1 to Crystal Palace. Rip Fulham, rip Scott Parker. We do believe in you though, buddy. Let's, let's We do believe results. in you, but I mean, I need to see a turnaround because otherwise it's, I think it's uh, Curtin's. All right, well, from that game to a game with a little bit more pedigree, but also a little bit less excitement, I feel bad because I feel like unintentionally I maybe rip on United and Chelsea a little bit. I think that their starts of the season kind of make them deserve it because they've been shaky. But frankly and honestly, and I'm not saying this with any sort of agenda, this game could have put a less determined fan to sleep. Like, it was yeah. a very boring game. There was dreadful. five shots on frame for the whole 90 minutes. Yo, it was absolutely dreadful, and I took the fucking over in Smeek's Pick'ems. You did. I, I have a Rip. nice little thing about Smeek's Pick'ems that might be able to flip the script a little bit later on in the podcast, so just stay tuned for that, guys. Yeah, and I mean, this algorithm is just evolving as the weeks go on. I may need to revert back to week one, because I feel like I may have been closer in week gone by because this week just was probably the worst week in Smeek Pickham history. But we're back. We got our best engineers week. on this algorithm. We got our best engineers working on this. Yeah, I got a coder and everything, a massive Excel, sh- Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> it shouldn't Expel be. Expel is what we might have to do to this engineer if he doesn't start figuring yeah. it out. I'm about to expel myself. So this game looked like a team that has had some good performances when they focus on defensive orientation versus a team that has had terrible defense that said, we're going to fo- focus on defensive orientation and set up and emphasize that. And what you got was a game where both sides were playing essentially not to lose. 
It was a game that was crying out for a moment of brilliance for somebody to step up and put their stamp on this game. And we know that there are plenty of people in these sides capable of doing so, right? Between Werner, Pulisic, Havertz, Bruno, Rashford, even Mata, Pogba, like Cavani who subbed on. It needed a moment of brilliance. It needed somebody to have some balls and say, I don't care how we're supposed to be set up, but I'm going to go win this game for my team. Pulisic actually probably looked the closest along with Bruno, but nobody really wanted to go out and seize this game. United, on occasion, was able to break and create a couple of chances. They forced some very impressive saves out of Mendy on three occasions that I can remember, Uh, one being like a Bruno shot, another being a Rashford run-in, and then at the at the death there was a final shot uh final save on a rashford shot from outside i think it's safe to say that mendy is worth at least three points this season because keppo would not (laughs) have been able to make a couple of those saves that mendy did yeah it's not particularly noteworthy to how the game played out but chelsea deployed a 3-4-3 showing that they were going to focus on that defensive orientation with asphil equator slotting in as a third center back along with Zuma and Thiago Silva, who was my man of the match for Chelsea. And I've said it on the podcast a couple of times, how are you going to get Reese James and Chilwell in the game at the same time and not hurt yourself too much defensively? And it was with that, it was playing them as wingbacks, essentially with that three-man back line. You know, Chilwell and James were free to get up the field, but um, obviously we're not too fruitful offensively. Ultimately, Manchester United just needed to take their chances and they could have snuck away with a 1-0. Chelsea need to figure out how to balance this defensive emphasis with actual chance creation, which they've been fine with earlier in the year, obviously looking to shore up that back line. But we don't talk about the lack of fans enough maybe on this podcast and what it's been doing to the season. And I think Patrice Evra made this point in the Sky Sports post-match, but you really have to believe that if there was fans in the stands for a game of this caliber between two massive clubs, it would have gone differently. There's no way the fans would have accepted no. that type of game. I mean, whether it whether it was just some pressure on either team to actually go out and do something instead of just playing like basically cowards the entire game, or a chance in you know, just making the defense nervous on a corner or something and kind of forcing a team to come out their shell because they conceded a goal. I mean, we've seen it basically at every big stadium. Fans can almost just suck a goal in in a game like this at at the at the home end. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did think the same thing. It would probably have been a different game if there were fans because, I mean, I know United supporters, for one, just could not stand the way their team played. Yeah, not at all. I think that's pretty much all I have to say about this game. It was a 0-0 draw, the second one of the season, both teams looking to improve their results, and they're going to hope that that happens in the coming weeks, but not today. So the next match that was played at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon was the Liverpool versus Sheffield game. Luke, I'm going to read you a quote, and I want you to tell me who this quote is about. Let me hear it. The arrogance of the man at times is frightening. Says some other stuff, says some other stuff. What's the point of talking to them? He's one of the most arrogant men I've ever met in my life. Was this a was this a Sheffield player talking about a Liverpool player? 
No, it was not. It was not from this game, but it was about somebody involved in the competition. Um, Think about arrogance. Mohamed Salah? No. So it was Nigel Pearson talking about Mike Dean back (laughs) in 2015. (laughs) I was thinking thinking of the worst. (laughs) So Mike Dean played a fairly significant role in this game. Not ultimately that significant but he he was he did have a couple decisions to make on the field that i think maybe left a little bit of uh, some liverpool fans a little bit upset yep that mean that man's a legend bad showing but he's a legend he's a legend rion brewster revenge game didn't quite go the way i'm sure he would have hoped actually maybe he did because he still likes all the liverpool instagram posts he only had 18 touches the whole game. He played 53 minutes uh, compared to McBurney's 53. So not really making his print on the game. He had one or two nice moments of buildup, but I think he really did struggle against what is obviously a strong Liverpool back line. No Virgil, no problem. Um, is Fabinho the best center back in the league? Now that Van I don't know, out. man. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I think he still maybe has a little bit of learning the position to do since he did give away a penalty kick. And so we'll talk about the penalty kick. In my opinion, it was the correct call get by the that. letter of the law. Get out of town. Because I think Fabinho made more contact with McBurney's foot than he did the ball, and it was outside the box to begin with and he he hit the ball away you can see he, on the replay he, 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 he got a tiny bit of the, the ball, ball and he got a lot of mcburney's foot it was also outside the box but, so here's here's the outside the box discussion the announcer said and i think rightfully so that if that the line is considered the box and in mcburney's right foot was on the line so that's why i say by the letter of the law it's a little bit illogical to consider that inside the box in my personal opinion, but supposedly, and this is my interpretation as per what they said on the broadcast, the line is considered the box. So I think Liverpool fans have a right to be well they also by said VAR. the commentators also said that he thought they got he thought they thought he got the ball too. So he did, yeah, 100%. But one is a little bit more subjective than the other in that if the line's considered the box, it's considered the box, and he was on the line. I don't think, like, we talk about it all the time on this podcast. When you talk about crime versus punishment, he was not in a threatening position. McBurney was not in a threatening position. It really, when you think about what the punishment should be for something like that, it should not be a penalty kick. But... I think by the letter of the law, it was the correct call. Yeah, personally. I mean, I get, I get obviously from from last weekend and honestly a few decisions this year. I think they're uh, they're out to get us. They they let us get our one Premier League finally. They couldn't stop us no matter how hard they tried. And now you guys won this game, determined. so that's that's enough talk like that. <laughs> uh, so Ethan Ampadu started as a central midfielder in the middle of like a five man midfield. He played well, especially early on, and I would compare him to Declan Rice at West Ham. The way that he is has is really keen to intercepting balls in the midfield and decent carrying the ball and driving at the defense. Is there no room for Ethan Ampadu at Chelsea? I'm not so sure. I think he could do a better job defensive midwise than Jorginho in terms of perfect uh, protecting that back three or four. I think he could probably do a job for them. Instead, they're going to go out and buy Declan Rice for 75 million pounds, but I think he could do a job for them. 
overall, I thought Sheffield played pretty well early on. I don't know if you would agree with that. I think like the first 25 minutes, they had a couple good chances. I'm thinking namely a Chris Basham volleyed effort from top of the box that was saved by Allison. I thought they played fairly well. I mean, you come to up, you play against Liverpool, like you get a few chances. That's more than what you could ask for sometimes going into the game. Um, I thought they played fairly well. Um, I mean, the goal very much did come out of nothing. I still don't think it was a penalty, but obviously I'm seeing it through red tinted glasses. But from the way the announcers were talking about it and what I saw, it didn't really seem like many people thought it was a penalty. But no, I thought Sheffield, I mean, on the whole played well. They're obviously very defensive um, just from their game plan. But I thought they, I mean, they made it difficult for us. They did. Uh, another kind of side note, when Aldum and... I think it was Lundstrom or Basham went in for a ball by the sideline and kind of, I think, like I said, the Sheffield player, whoever it was, gave Genie a little shove after. And did you see how quick Klopp grabbed Genie and stopped him from going back at the player? Yeah. (laughs) It was like a sixth sense. It was remarkable. It's just a testament to how well he knows his team. Yeah, I did did think, uh, speaking of Wijnaldum, I did think we were going to see the Brexit midfield uh, in this game uh, reunited for once of Henderson, Wijnaldum, and, and Milner. The uh, Basically what Liverpool's been built on, that good old-fashioned hard-tackling Brexit midfield, but no, Jota slotted in, so I was so Jota happy slotted. to see that. Yeah, and he played well. Liverpool scored to equalize uh, in the 30th minute on a header from Sadio Mane that was saved well by Ramsdale. Yeah, Aaron Ramsdale, and then Firmino pounced on it for 1-1. And the only reason I go through this goal is because the goal scorer is of note. Bobby Firmino scores at home. He only did it once all of last year, and it was after the restart. What do you think the odds were on that for Smeek's Pickums? For a Firmino goal? Yeah, at home. We could have made a fortune off that. Yeah, that's probably plus 900 or so. Oh, I, I was thinking the whole time we should have taken that. But yeah. Whatever, it's it's pretty easy to look at it retrospectively. Salah scored in the 61st first minute, and it was ruled out by VAR. Another reason why Liverpool fans are bemoaning VAR because it was taken very nicely. Uh, yeah, that was a that was an incredible goal. But it probably was the so right nice that first touch to keep it up, and then just volley at home. And at this point, I wrote a note about the way that Klopp and his team attack. I noticed that they fire in balls from these like deeper wide positions as opposed to getting closer to the touch line. Touch line. I should say, I guess, earlier wide positions as opposed to deeper. And it's because, I mean, Bobby obviously drops in as kind of like a nine and a half or a false nine and Salah and Mane lead the line. They're not the biggest guys, but they are the fastest. So if you change this angle where you're putting it across from an earlier position, you're allowing for your players to run towards it and get, get a head start on the defenders to goal yeah and i think it's so dangerous and so many liverpool goals are started and i was like i, I see this cross style and i'm like why does it work so well for them and it's because Mane and salah can often get a step as a, uh, behind as opposed to beating a defender up in the air from like a cross from the byline yeah i mean you also have two of the best crossers in world football in trent and, and robertson yeah, and um, they can hit those crosses perfectly. I mean, Salah tends to like finish shit irregularly, 
I mean, he just, I don't know how he does it. He just finds back the net. But Mane is actually such a threat in the air. He's so good at heading. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's crazy athletic. Yeah. He was part of the second goal for Liverpool. He, there's a nice buildup to find him with the ball. And he immediately took on Basham, who then had to respect his speed and give him a little bit more space. And that allowed him to just pick out Jota, who beat um, and the Stevens in the air and power to pass to Ramsdale. Sheffield had a couple chances after that. Uh, they they did try and go for it in like the 90th, 70, once in the 70th minute, once in the 90th minute. Salah hit the post in the 80th minute. My final thoughts on the game, I think it's a great win for Liverpool. It's one of those games that you absolutely, absolutely need to win to uphold your title aspirations, especially on a week where so many title competitors dropped points. And coming back from 1-0 down is always a great thing to do. Sheffield really pains me to say uh, or to see this bad start because they're a team that I've grown a little bit fond of. I just like so many characters on that team. But they remain at one point and 19th in the league. And their next two games are against City and Chelsea, which it's going to be hard to pick up points there. I don't think they're one of the three worst teams in the Premier League, but I think there's instances of better teams getting relegated and they need to start putting together some good games for sure and i mean you saw how they did against liverpool i mean some some good luck here and there uh throughout the game to kind of keep them in the game but i mean they can obviously like compete with a good team and keep it close keep it compact at the back so yeah i think a little bit of luck needs to go their way even though they had a ton of luck in this game but yeah i would like to see them remain in the premier league yeah just a team that i really like yeah but moving on now to another shock result of this weekend. Not a one with a ton of goals, but with some shocks for sure. And that was Southampton versus Everton. Everton were without uh, Richarlison after his red card last weekend. Uh, Andre Gomez was rested, it looks like. Uh, didn't really get confirmation on that. And Seamus Coleman picked up a, a hamstring inju- in, uh, injury, so he was out also. Um, but yeah, Everton kind of look like the Everton of old where they would go to some of these mid-table, lower-table sides and just not really turn up, get outplayed, and end up dropping points, which has seen them finish basically obscure mid-table, slightly behind the top six now for quite a few seasons. Danny Ings, once again, just continues to have an incredible performance, incredible season, and just an incredible effect on, on the Southampton side. They played so well, I thought, Southampton. They're now up into, I think, fifth or sixth in the table. Uh, I mean, they've been a basically stal- stalwart in the in the Premier League now for some time. And they really look like they they had not only like the nous to, to stay in the game and just stay competitive, but just that level of quality throughout the side to, to cause problems, to defend well. And it was Danny Ings who slipped in james ward prowse for the first Our goal boy yeah normally the man assisting danny or whipping in some dangerous free kicks and set pieces but i mean he absolutely belted this one past small arms pickford the full england national teamer he was called up to the nation's league games in the last window so he's officially a full england international shout out to the black booted midfielder shout out ward prowse yeah i mean he's definitely got the talent maybe not the athleticism to uh, kick on to that next level but still kind of young ish yeah i think he could he could definitely do a role for a bigger side 
Um, and I mean, I always hear about like, oh, set piece delivery, set piece delivery. And he, he whips in deep balls off free kicks and corners that are dangerous. But he also takes free kicks. Now he needs to start hitting some of these. I think that Southampton was probably a little bit more comfortable letting Schoeberg go to Tottenham, knowing that Ward Prowse was going to be like a big player in their midfield this year. He's been one of their most impressive players. Yeah. I mean, they, they're one of those teams that sell players onto big clubs for a lot of money and then just go and find the next Retool. best thing. And I mean, that's why Liverpool has bought like seven or eight players from them and they just go out, buy somebody else. And I mean, it's basically like nothing ever happened. They're, those teams are essential to the Premier League, just side note. Yeah, of course. And Shea Adams, who also I think could potentially be getting some looks from other teams. I don't see why he would leave this Southampton side, but he made it too after another nice Danny Ings assist. I mean, Everton, when they were defending, basically were so narrow trying to defend some of the crosses that it just went over everybody. Yeah, Luca Dino was in like the, the basically in front of the goal and then either Gelfie Sigurdsson or um Ducore who were covering uh on the side for their fullbacks were also within like the six yard box and then if the ball goes over the top they were just wide open from another player Southampton player coming in and then just the gap between their their midfield and their defense I haven't really seen that from them this season. I'm not sure what was going on, but it was just so big. Like you bypass the midfield and the the forward press, and then you had about 30 yards of open space to just run at the defense. Kind of kind of a weird performance from Everton. I'm not sure if they just you know weren't at the races and their defense didn't want to push high enough, high high enough for. I mean, it's hard holding a high line against Chad Adams and Danny Ings, but I mean, they just didn't look really really added this game um yeah we'll see what Ancelotti does to shore up that defense and how they respond after a hot start showing that it's not just lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. yeah I mean Southampton definitely were clinical can't take that away from them they basically had those two big chances in the first half and buried them both and then Luca Dina after Everton's pretty um I mean controversial performance I'll put it like that against Liverpool last weekend and Luca Dini actually took to social media to post something kind of in kind of in poor taste I thought that French man got sent off from basically just stamping on a on a Southampton player's ankle in the second half Kyle Walker Peters Kyle Walker Peters yep uh in the second half around the 70th minute I I don't think it was particularly you know on purpose it was probably accidental he was trying to follow him a little bit too closely but Everton are very much in danger I think of just becoming one of those sides that are starting to gather a reputation and that's going to make referees one take more notice of them and some of the challenges they're putting in and then just give them kind of like a black mark against a lot of teams yeah that was a tough one it was super dangerous like he could have snapped Kyle Walker Peters' ankle. Yeah. But I also know f- from playing the sport myself that like I've gotten tied up when I'm just trying to chase somebody down before. It so it is a it is a little bit of a hairy one to say that this was done for any particular reason or whatever, but super dangerous the way that it played out. Yeah. I mean could have been I don't think it was I don't think like I said it was it was on purpose or anything, but 
I mean, there's just been already now after two weeks. I think there's already been throughout six or you know six games this season. I think there's been one too many of these now for Everton, and this one probably was accidental. But I mean, they're definitely definitely becoming in danger of being known for that that type of foul play. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, fair. South Southampton. I mean, really just outplayed Everton. Everton didn't really threaten too much. I didn't think Guffy Sigurdsson almost hit a banger, but. Besides that, yeah, Everton didn't really turn up. Southampton 2, Everton nil. Everton lose their first game of the season, but remain top of the table. Tied with Liverpool. Yep, after the on-goal difference. Okay, next game was the Wolves versus Newcastle game. So NBC said, NFL football on at 1 o'clock. What do we have in our arsenal to compete <laughs> with NFL football? Let's give them Wolves versus Newcastle on NBC, the main channel. Wolves dominated the whole game. Uh, they came out dominating possession. They took the game to Newcastle like we've been asking that this Wolves team to do for so long. Within the first 15 minutes, they had like three or so big chances. They were pressing. Neto, Podence, and Raul were combining very well. Ryan Shakiri. Oh, wait, no. Ryan Frazier. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I just wanted to make that joke. He didn't do jack shit this game. But um, yeah, Newcastle was largely unable to break down Wolves press or work between the lines and create the best chance they had until they equalized with a free kick was a Callum Wilson running behind and a shot deflected from distance that was saved somewhat comfortably. Meanwhile, Wolves were threatening basically the whole game. They combined well around the box and forced a bunch of last-ditch defending from Newcastle defenders. They were lacking that precise final ball just a little bit, and I was surprised that they didn't break through until they did. Podence is so dicey. Yeah, he, right. Like, he can do awesome things with the ball. He had like this step-over chop that he did on the left wing that I think I would have torn my Achilles if I tried to defend that. <laughs> But he set up Neto uh, on a ball cut back through the top of the box that Neto placed just over the bar. Raul was doing a good job dropping in deep and acting like that false nine distributor that he typically is. Samedo, I thought, played well on both ways, defensively and offensively. But yeah. his his end product and his ball into the box is pretty atrocious. Leaves something to be wanting. Yeah. Raul did score... I called it a golazzo in my notes. Maybe I was being a little bit generous, but uh, Cross came in from Neto and was headed away by Callum Wilson. Raul takes one touch to settle at the top of the 18 and hits a half volley that the keeper got a hand on but couldn't stop. And like I said, we've been asking Wolves to take this game to the team that they're playing a smaller side for so long, and they did it this game. And the symptom of that was possession and repeated danger. However, they couldn't hold on. There was a free kick outside the top of the 18 as the game wore on. I think it was the 84th minute. They had three men over the ball, kind of deceiving Wolves as to what they were trying to do. And Jacob Murphy, who was a right-footed player, even though the kick was situated to the right side of the 18-yard box, bent a ball low around the wall and beat Roy Patricio on the near post. I mean, he's got to save that, I think. You probably do have to save it. I think that it was 
a smart play by Newcastle to get a bunch of guys over the ball and then eventually hit that. But yeah, yeah you can definitely do better with that shot. And an unfortunate result for Wolves, uh, 1-1 draw against a team that I thought that they thoroughly dominated. And I just hope that we see this Wolves team moving forward, one that takes the game to the, the opponent a little bit more, dominates possession, creates a bunch of chances, lets their playmakers go and do something because it was fun to watch. And I think if you play this way, these results aren't going to – you'll start putting together some goals and you won't tie because the team nicks one at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think they did deserve to score more than just the one. And then obviously pretty pretty unlucky to concede that free kick and then concede uh, a good strike on that. But I think Ray Patrice has got to save that. But yeah, I agree. I really want them to go out. But at the, I mean – Speaking like that, and Wolves, I mean, we've been talking about how maybe they haven't had their best start to the season, but with the way the league's shaking up, shaping up this season, they're still top half of the table, and they're, I mean, they're right where they'd want to be, I think, uh, come yeah. the start of it. Maybe they'd want wanted to have taken a little bit more from the opportunities, given how many other teams have dropped points, but they're right where they need to be. To be fair, I think the only big team that they've played so far is City though so you'd like to see them maybe yeah snatch a couple more points but I agree they're not they're not hurting at all because every other team has been playing pretty shaky too so they're in a good spot I completely agree definitely agree with that now moving on to another big team or potentially two big teams depending on how you want to look at it uh Arsenal versus Leicester and once again slap bang in the middle of NFL Sunday but this one definitely I think at least would have drawn a few more watchers than uh, Newcastle Wolves. Arsenal Leicester at top six, top seven clash uh, that I think we're all guessing it is uh, come the end of the season. Leicester do now sit fourth in the table. Arsenal kind of dragging down in 11th, but I was expecting a pretty open game from two teams that kind of love to attack. And when they're not playing, the top teams tend to leave themselves open defensively. However, we did not get that. Leicester and Brendan Rodgers, I think, did exactly what they should have. Sat back against Arsenal. We know how compact Arsenal can be defensively and how tough they can be to, to break apart and then how dangerous they are in the counterattack with Aubameyang, Lacazette, and, and so on. But Leicester basically sat back. They did let David Luiz kind of just sit back there, almost from a quarterback position, just kind of ping the ball all over the field. And he definitely showed off his range of passing and why Arsenal have him in his side, why he's been basically playing for these top-level sides now for his whole career because he had and- some great passes. And how much they'd miss him when he eventually got hurt too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was he was so dangerous. It's basically like having you know one of those uh, Pirlo's or Gerrards or yeah, just the deep skulls, six. just yeah. all the way back there that play like the holding midfield role. But he's a center back, so he was stepping into the midfield and pinging balls all over about. Um, there, there was a few Arsenal chances, kind of here and there in the game. It was honestly a pretty boring game uh to be completely honest with you but this brings us back to our Uzzle conversation and i mean sev tell me that this is not a game where meza Uzzle could have made a difference yeah i know i think it i think it is and it's like a lot of games that we've seen previously he could come in and 
hit a pass that breaks a line or send somebody in on goal and opens things up. But just the reality is he's not playing for the team anytime soon. And I think the longer this conversation drags on, the more it may make sense. But the reality of it is he's not in this team's plans. Yeah, that's a shame to see. Uh, I mean, this is the exact type of game where you want um, as a Ozil. It doesn't matter if he doesn't really get back on defense. You have enough players to do that. And someone needs to find that killer pass. Someone needs to get on the ball. They change up the tempo of the game and, and find a slip back, slip through ball or just kind of create something and unlock this defense. But he wasn't on the pitch. wasn't on the bench. He's not in the squad. Couldn't have done anything. Uh, Arsenal basically just ran out of ideas after about mm-hmm. an hour. The tempo kind of slowed. Leicester were allowed to kind of get on the ball a little bit more and maintain their shape defensively. And then the goal came when Yuri Tielemans slipped in an unbelievable pass uh, from around like that midfield line to check under, who at full speed gave a pretty perfect ball across the box past Leno and Jamie Vardy, who came on as a sub after that injury, headed home. Uh, that made it 1-0 to Leicester. And I think even the commentators were saying it, and I think everybody kind of knew that Arsenal just wouldn't be able to find a response. Yeah, and everybody knew that that was Leicester's plan too, was they had this not fully fit Vardy who could still give you 30 minutes on the bench. So if you could get to the 60th or 70th minute with a nil-nil game, kind of make Arsenal try things a little bit more. Insert Vardian, who loves to score against Arsenal, loves to score against big (laughs) top six sides. Yeah. It was a plan that was worked to perfection. I mean, you looked at Arsenal Twitter and everybody saw it coming. Like, everybody yeah. saw it coming. And Vardy's the type of guy that needs one. And That's all he needs. it's a shame because I thought I, I thought a lot of Arsenal players didn't play badly. Mm. You know, I thought Thomas Partey making his full Premier League debut had a, had a pretty good game. I thought Arsenal as a whole were decent. Yeah. But... They just not had not good enough going forward. No, no yeah. one to find a killer ball and no one to get on the ball and create to, you know, give feed Alba, feed one of these, you know, goal goal getters. And Lacazette is continuing his shaky start to the season at Horrible least. Horrible form, man. I mean, the amount of times where Laka should have scored and just managed to not somehow is definitely cause for concern. To be fair, he did have one ruled out by VAR, but he mm. he missed a ton of chances. And yeah. most notably that cross that he couldn't get his head to. That was he was literally standing on the touchline. We did so. talk about that and I mean there's there's a high boot, blah blah blah, all there. But if you're on those wages and if you're a fan of a team and you see your striker not willing to put his head in a dangerous position to just bury one for your side I would I mean that would definitely get under my skin a little bit it did but yeah can't can't rewrite history yeah I'm sorry man it happens it's the sport yeah so that was Arsenal zero Leicester City one love to see it and then we move to the Monday games uh the first Monday game Kicking off at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time was West Brom Ajalbian versus Brighton Ajalbian. 
the Battle of the Jalbians. It was it was a it was a game of two halves, quite frankly. Brighton dominated the first half. Their you know front four, front five or six with Basuma and Maupe and Sonny Sully March and Trissard. Tariq Lamptey getting forward all seem to combine pretty well and are dangerous in most games that I watch them. Um, and they had some really beautiful patterns of play, kind of most of the time instigated by Trissard, who I think might be one of the most underrated players in the Premier League, frankly, a full Belgian national team player, yeah, he's been you know, really good one of the season. top five teams in, in the world, and he's making the squad for them. And I think he's a really solid player. I mean, they paid 20 plus million euros to get him from uh, Gank or Ghent in Belgium. So, you know, a, a hefty fee, but I think slightly underrated as far as the Premier League's concerned. The goal came not off one of those beautiful patterns of play that I talked about, but off more of a scrappy sequence of events. Tariq Lamptey won a header from his from on a cross from the opposite side of the field his teammate got on the end of his header but the shot was deflected and it fell conveniently to Lamptey who played the ball back across the face of goal a defender came to clear it off the line and kicked it into his own player to make it one nothing for an own, an own goal for one nothing but then the second half everything changed West Brom was far more dangerous uh Pereira who I thought was probably their most dangerous player on the day had a, a shot go just wide and actually hit off the crossbar. They had many, many promising moments. Another was a Krejic effort that was punched wide by the Brighton keeper. Dean Ghana, who I sang a lot of praise for last week, wasn't quite as efficient as his fellow kick it to the Italian partner, Matthias Pereira. But they were really honestly pretty solid they and then good. Callum Robin, it's the best I've seen them look yeah in the second half yeah, in the in first the half, half they were yeah. pretty dreadful there's kind of poor Brighton defending on the equalizer from Carlin Grant Callum Robinson who subbed in around the 60th minute on the right wing was dangerous got a couple balls and was able to run into space and on this particular occasion he fired a deep cross on the ground that I think a Brighton defender deflected but didn't get enough on. And it fell to Carlin Grant, who had a really nice touch to get around a defender and set himself up. And he just smashed it past the Brighton keeper to make it 1-1. Kind of a disappointing result from a Brighton perspective because of how dangerous they looked in the first half and just how good they've looked at times this season. I'm thinking namely the Manchester United game. I know that they didn't play particularly well last week against Crystal Palace, but a team who I thought like might be able to elevate themselves into um, the next tier above the, you know, 14 through 20, 15 through 20 teams. But if you can't, if you can't follow up a nice first half against a team who has struggled all season long, has one draw this year, you're not going to get into that second tier of teams and, uh, yeah, they, they left a lot to be desired in that second half. Yeah, I mean, like we've said, they've played so well at times this season, but it just remains the fact that they can't, one, close out result, or two, just claw or just get a result to begin with. You know, I mean, they've looked great for where they are in the table. I think they've looked the best out of teams around them, but yeah. that doesn't mean shit if you go down no. at the end of the year. 
Agreed. Uh, I think that they're maybe hurting a little bit without fans, as a lot of teams are. But I know the Amex gets pretty rowdy, and I just like the fact that it's called the Amex. But yeah, kind of a sick name. It's a dope name. But um, yeah, I could not keep hold on for a result in this one. Final score being one one between the Ajalbians. And now the final game of Week Six in the Premier League. It was Burnley versus Spurs, home to Burnley. Burnley and the lack of fans and that atmosphere in the Burnley Stadium definitely did not cause Burnley any trouble. This was just, you know, your trademark Sean Dyche. Just everyone behind the ball. We're going to be more physical. We're going to be more strong. We're just going to basically pummel you and wear you down until you don't want to play anymore. And we can just suck the life out of your game. A game, a team that I mean, Jose has managed some great sides, but basically, this is the this is the poor Jose version of some of these incredible teams he's built, like the Chelsea teams and the sit back defensive games, and then you just kill them on the counter, or you just snag one, and then you just lock up shop. Jose was definitely a little uh, concerned in the first half. He ended up walking down the tunnel before the half ended spurs never really look like scoring or even really like troubling burnley too much if anything burnley were just like too strong and we've we've known that jose wants this team to be kind of a little bit more mean to put it lightly and, and more nasty and burnley bunch just of beeps huh bunch of beeps yeah that one um and yeah i mean spurs just weren't really up to the to the battle in the first half, Alderweireld was rocking the headband after being elbowed by by Barnes, Ashley Barnes, uh, early on. Um, potentially a yellow card. I didn't really think it was it was cynical or he he was going after him too much for anything more serious than that. But yeah, I mean, Spurs definitely looked a little bit better in the second half. As I said, there wasn't really too much to talk about in this game. It was it was just Burnley kicking it long, winning those knockdowns, and then kind of looking dangerous. They had a few good chances, but Spurs came out in the second half. Definitely looked a little better. Uh, we're willing to to take a few more risks-ish and then just stand up to Burnley, basically, and not that them let them run all over. Finally, though, in the in the 70th minute or so on, it was a, it was a set piece against Burnley, so from the the least likely of circumstances where Spurs got their winner, I uh, was whipped in. Harry Kane won a header well, flicked it on, and Hyungman Son tracked the ball. Basically, this this second nature now uh, with Harry Kane and and this tandem that's growing. Harry Kane won the flick on, and Hyungman Son headed it just above all those defenders on the line. Gave Spurs their one 0 win, and I mean. That's a great, great, great result for Spurs. It was so difficult of a game for them to play. You could just see how up for it Burnley were, how great Sean Dice's tactics were. Uh, I mean, it, they were just basically impossible to break down and we were just causing Spurs problems at, at every turn. Jose's post-match interview, he, he gave a lot of credit to, to the Burnley side and their performance and also gave some some great credit to the uh, to the referee. I'm not sure if you saw that. I did not. Yeah, he said Michael Oliver 
had a phenomenal game and especially after his showing which wasn't particularly his fault in the Merseyside derby last week but he that's definitely what he needed to hear after that was it backhanded or was it serious no it was very sincere oh i love michael oliver that's great to hear he's got the funniest face in the premier league yeah i mean he he there was a that yellow card or not even yellow card there was that elbow on alderweireld and a few few tackles here and there but jose said it was phenomenally refereed it was one of those physical games and you you don't want to break it up you don't want to give anybody a red card or a card that is going to cause problems so yeah that was great to hear from jose referee of the week right there uh, according to Jose, uh, he absolutely has to be. If you're going to get praise from Jose Mourinho as a referee, you win referee of the week. Yeah, like, that's just a, a thing. I, I, that yeah, I mean, considering there wasn't really many other great showings. <laughs> yeah, Mike Dean gave <laughs> away a penalty. Yeah, memorable moments. I think we have to. Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver, congratulations from the man himself. From Jose Mourinho, and then the soccer football podcast. You were officially referee of the week. Postcards in the mail. Postcards coming in the mail. Much love. The one thing I'll say about this, and I and I have to admit I didn't catch the game, but I mean, Burnley on a Monday night is as close to you can get as a rainy Tuesday night in Stoke as there still oh, is yeah. in the Premier League. So when you kind of think of it through that lens, it is a good result. And it's you know, it's three points. The comments are picking these types up on of results. Too. True. Too many of these types of results can be concerning you want to see your team beat better sides convincingly but that's a tough place to go on like a sleepy monday night yeah especially it being on a monday maybe saturday morning on a on a sunny night um sunny day is is better the police are coming for luke yeah i'm getting <laughs> i'm being hunted down i don't know what i said in the podcast but i gotta go back and listen it's probably something bad something slipped out but yeah i mean that's basically now in the Premier League the equivalent to the old, you know, phrase of can he do it on a cold, rainy Tuesday night in Stoke is now can he do it against Burnley on any night because Burnley are maybe even tougher than Stoke. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you want. I don't, I mean, if you're going for top four in this crazy season and who knows if they're going to be in that title battle um, come the end of the season, that's the type of result where. They're going to look back on and say, that's why we are here. And it's a great thing when you talk about how, and you you mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, how you want to see some more competition throughout the table. And, you know, right now we're looking at eight points separating like 11 from four points separating 11 from one. Like there's just, there's, I mean, I know it's early on in the season, but you know, there's so much competition throughout the table. And um, yeah, I mean, everyone has dropped now at least five points. And last season, Liverpool didn't drop points, I don't think, until like the 20th something game. Yeah. Maybe maybe so, 17th or 18th when they drew against United. So competition throughout the table and another week with some unexpected results. Yeah, I mean, definitely unexpected results. Some... I think now we may be seeing a lot of these teams hit their kind of form and kind of grow into the season. Um, we've still yet to see if like some teams are frauds and if it was a flash mm-hmm. in the pan. Going to be very interesting to keep an eye on Villa and Everton now in the coming weeks after they both suffered losses this weekend, uh, previously yep. unbeaten. 
But yeah, I mean, if you if you look through the table, I mean, let's talk. We haven't really talked about the table, and now we haven't talked about the table at all. Six six games in, it's starting to take shape, and you know you have you have Everton, Liverpool, Villa, Leicester, and Tottenham uh, in your top five who were, you know, after their start to the table, there's no reason why they shouldn't be there come in the coming months and, and closer to the end of the season. But I mean, looking further down, Chelsea tenth, Arsenal eleventh. Man City 13th, they do have a game in hand. They do. Um, and Manchester United 15th, also with a game in hand. So, yes, sir. Um, it's a lot to be kind of resolved or shaken up in that middle of the pack because I can't imagine all four of those being anywhere near the middle. And then you have 6th, 7th, and 8th being Leeds, Southampton, and Crystal Palace, which is as surprising as any you know three-team segment of the table yeah like I you mean, could see Leeds sticking there maybe more so than the other two but all three of those teams i mean deserve those positions and and even wolves uh we talked about they're even on points with those three teams so not too bad of a start for wolves either but a couple of those teams you could see sticking there for maybe a little bit longer than the others yeah um I mean, Southampton, Palace, and Wolves now are all, you know, basically like full-on Premier League sides. They've been there for a few years, have have proved themselves, and they're they're teams that just should not be in a relegation battle or being anywhere near that that fight at the bottom of the table. We did see Southampton almost go down last season. Crystal Palace have flirted with it in recent seasons, um, but but Wolves and Leeds. I would love to be in the top eight ish type fight for for Europe come the end of the season. That would that would be some great viewing. And then Palace Southampton, I, I do think they're going to fade away slightly, but I don't think they are going to be in any jeopardy of of going down this season. Yeah, I think even into December last year, Palace was hovering around that area of the table, yeah. and then ended up finishing lower half of the table. So. It's not unlike them under Uncle Roy to have a good early start to the year, but haven't ever continued that type of form as the season draws on. But yeah, the table looks incredibly interesting right now. Obviously, everybody go check it out and kind of form some opinions on it. You know, three teams all on one point, um, rounding out the relegation spots. It's Burnley, Sheffield, and Fulham. So... So I mean, kind of competition throughout. It's always been, it's always been whoever's on top at Christmas. Normally, is the odds-on favorite for winning the league. So I think sometime this week, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday, I might do my way too early Christmas predictions of how I think the table is going to look. Uh, maybe maybe one through twenty, uh, and maybe just just top six. Um, I'm going to see how, how into it I really want to get and how many bold predictions I, I want to make. I've kind of made a few already, but yeah, I think Come I'm on. on. I can You'll put out, pass up. I can put out a one through 20, you know, Fuck You'll it. never pass up a hot take opportunity. Come on. <laughs> you know me too well. Yeah. I mean, I guess then you're getting my one through 20 come Christmas time at some point this week. Okay. That'll be shared on our social media platforms. Always, as always. So after our little table look through, 
we are going to finish up with a couple of segments. All right, we are back now with some segments. We already did our referee of the week for this week. Uh, Michael Oliver getting that shout out from Jose Mourinho. So he is the referee of the week. So Seven and I are going to go through our top five informs through week six. Uh, definitely some shakeups in here uh, with the results. Some players definitely could not keep their their places, but some have. Would you like to start off with our first choice, Sev? Yeah, he's been in and out of the top five in form. He was maybe harshly dropped last week, but you can't keep him off with the performance he put together this week with three goals on the Friday game. It's Hattrick Bamford, as we've effectively named him. In his bag player of the week. Also the in his bag player of the week. So he's on double duty this week. I mean, just the most blatant inclusion on on this whole list, along with our second informed player. Yeah, uh, another one that's actually keeping his place from at least one week. I forget if he was on that pre-international break. I believe he was. And that is Harry Kane, the, the, the number nine that can just do it all. This partnership now with Hyungman Son is just incredibly dangerous and scary to look at. Uh, he turned provider this week for the all-important final goal in that Tottenham-Burnley game. Uh, Harry came with another assist. He leads the league charts, actually. And we cannot keep the teammates off anymore because they are doing everything for that squad right now. That squad, which is, as we talked about, fifth place in the Premier League table. Hyungman Son also achieving a spot on our top five in form week, uh, this week's list. Hyungman Son obviously scored off that feed from Harry Kane and has just been putting together a phenomenal season. I think he takes the lead on the scores in the Premier League now ahead of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who fared, failed to get on the score sheet this week. How can you not include the guy top five in form, Hyungman Son? Yeah, that's eight and six now for Sonny. Definitely worthy of that inclusion this week. Uh, the first time we've included teammates, tried not to do it, but that pairing is just just way too good now for us to ignore it any longer. So coming to our fourth pick, it is the man we all know and love at this point, Southampton's superstar, back where he belongs. It is Danny Ings. Yeah, Danny Ings. Obviously got on the score sheet this week, got on the score sheet last week. and Or no, he got two assists this week. Or sorry, two assists this week, got on the score sheet last week and claimed another a spot on the top five in form uh, list last week. And you can't drop him after another solid performance and a pretty big win for them. So, I mean, you just can't drop the guy he's producing. Producing and firing Tottenham up to, uh, I mean, sorry, <laughs> firing Southampton up in the table now rivaling those top four places for the champions league and fifth and finally it is the kid wilford a goal and an assist this weekend he has you know stayed in crystal palace now for i think longer than a lot of us would have expected him to but he may he continues to just perform well he's the one real creative spark in that side and just that the danger man where 
where everything just runs through him. He scores, he assists, he's just a constant threat throughout the game. Wilfred Zaha finishes out our top five in forms. And also finishes out our episode. Thank you guys for staying with us this week. It was a great episode. We covered some hilarious weekly stories to start the episode, went through all the games, named a referee of the week, named in it in his bag player of the week, named five informed players, had a couple laughs along the way. Any final thoughts, Luke? Uh, just more interested to see more football and some Champions League games midweek to, te- to keep me entertained. And Europa League, obviously. Shout Can't forget about those Thursday night games in the Ukraine. Well, we appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Love you guys.